There you go. So it's new series day, which you guys know by now is one of my favorite times when we're in our little momentum rhythm. It's so funny. I remember, you know, a lot of kids in the community got out of school this week. And I remember when I was a young pastor, I used to congratulate parents like, hey, you did it. You got your kids through school. And now that I have kids who go to school, I realize we don't celebrate when they get out of school, we celebrate when we have made it through summer. And so now I'm, I'm getting it, I'm with it. But I will say, hey, if you are a teacher, an educator, or you spent time in the school, if you homeschool, if you are one of our beloved homeschool families online, in the courtyard, around here, I just need you to know, I believe there is a special place in heaven for homeschool parents who are doing education and homeschool at the same time. Can we make noise for that crew and just say we love you and support you? Uh, so we will do our celebration when summer is over and kids go back. Now I understand that. The series is called Storyteller. If you want to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13 on version or in a Bible or on the scriptures on your phone, however you're flipping around in the Word these days, Matthew 13, you can make sure I'm not making this stuff up and I'll just dive in. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such a large crowd gathered around him that he had got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore, he told them many things in parables. Now i got to make a confession as we go. Here's the confession. I am madly in love with Jesus Christ. I just am. I absolutely love and adore Jesus. I love him because he found me when I was 17 years old and he hasn't let go of me yet or given up on me, even though there's been plenty of times I've given up on myself. I love him because he's not a God who loved us from a distance and said, good luck, good luck trying to climb up here. Maybe if you earn it one day, you can come and see me. He's a God who got down in the mud, the grit, the grime, the pain, and the hardship of this life to rescue us. I love him because he was a storyteller. We get this little word, I put it in blue for you. It says that Jesus told them many things in parables. You guys, parables are stories and I'm a story guy. If you were to open up my phone and look at my Audible library, it's either leadership books or incredible, well-written, and well-told stories. You guys, I did the Matthew McConaughey book. It was great stories. Green light, baby. I am not afraid to admit it. I love stories. If I get together with my buddies from college, if we're not making fun of one another, we're getting together and we're telling good stories. Guys, I'm a story guy. I love Jesus. And he was a storyteller. And so for this series over the next six weeks, we're just going to be in the parables listening to Jesus tell stories. Believe it or not, one third of Jesus's teachings are stories. A third of the time he was teaching, he was telling stories. I believe he was likely a master storyteller. He'd tell these things called parables. What's a parable? A parable is an earthly story that points to a spiritual reality. So if you're reading your Bible at home, which I suggest you do regularly, and you got to some Jesus passage, and all of a sudden Jesus starts telling a story, he's talking about earthly things that are fictional, but he is using those fictional earthly things to point to an actual spiritual 
reality. Now, why did Jesus talk in story and tell parables? There's a lot of reasons for that. We're going to learn some of them today, but one of them is specifically, there are certain things, truths, and realities that you can't just talk about with logic. Like, if I asked you how to get to Target from here, you could use logic and linear thinking. And you could be like, well, you go down Hunt Parkway, you're going to turn right on Otai Lakes Road, go through the light. When you get past islands, go past the islands. How the heck is islands still in business? But you just go past them anyways, and you go to Target, and then Target's going to be right there. You could tell me that with logic. But if I asked you something deeper, if I said, hey, when did you know you had fallen in love? Or what three events in your life have shaped you the most? You cannot talk about those realities without the use of story. This is why Jesus was a storyteller. And so we're going to get into our first parable in the storyteller series right now. Let me take it from the top again. That day, Jesus went out and he sat uh, out of the house, sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many parables. Here's the first parable. It starts right here. It says, a farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Boom, mic drop, end of story. Now, if you read that or you were listening along, which I'm assuming you were, you might be inclined to go, Matt, what, what happened to the master storyteller? That was not great because I heard about some birds and some seed and some sowing and some weeds and some stuff, but I have no clue what Jesus was just saying right there. If you had that in your mind like I did when I first read this, you're in good company because that's exactly what his disciples come up to him and say next. He tells this story. He goes, he who has ears, let him hear. Boom, mic drop. And the disciples are like, um, hey, Jesus. Uh, all right. Rabbi, Messiah, sir, good fella. What do you mean? And they go, Jesus, hang on. We know you're the Messiah. We know you're the Son of God. We know you came from God to earth to announce salvation and the kingdom of heaven and all this good stuff. Dude, we're with you. All you have to do is say, hey, I'm Jesus. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you should never do. It's all good. Like, just do this and we're in with you. Jesus, why parables and what the heck were you talking about? And then Jesus' answer to them in verse 13 is not only a little shocking, to me it's a little disturbing. Sorry, it's verse 11. It says, he replied, why do I do this? Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. That is not what I expected Jesus was going to say. They said, Jesus, no one really gets what you're talking about when you tell the stories. He's like, I know. 
But, but, but Jesus, like, you're here from God. You're here to spread the whole world, like, the truth and the good news of the gospel. And when you talk like this, people have to think really, really hard to get at what you're saying. And Jesus would say, exactly. Jesus, I thought you were going to say, I tell stories because the truth of the kingdom of God is so big and expansive. If I tell it in story form, it'll be a little easier to understand. And we can just put the cookies on the bottom shelf and everybody can come get the cookies and they're easy to reach and easy to understand. And then you're going to die. You're going to raise from the dead. And then, and then we'll tell the stories and we'll put the cookies on the bottom shelf and we'll all live happily ever after. But Jesus, that's not what you're doing here. What Jesus is saying essentially is I'm being disappointing on purpose. Why? Well, to understand, you have to remember what the first verse of this passage said. It says there were these massive crowds around Jesus. And what you need to know about Jesus is he was never fooled by the crowds, not even once. These crowds showed up and they all had expectations for Jesus that they wanted Jesus to fulfill. There were people there who thought Jesus was going to be a political activist and he was literally going to come in the power of God and overthrow the Roman government and instill a God-led government in his place. There was people who thought that Jesus was here as a meal ticket. People in these crowds heard that Jesus had, had put a bunch of food out one time and there was this miracle and there was this fish and these loaves and everybody got bread and they're like, man, food's hard to come by in this day and age. Maybe if we just follow Jesus around, he'll keep our stomachs filled. There were still other people who just wanted to be in the mix. They wanted a selfie with Jesus. They wanted to say where they were there and they wanted to know that they were around for it and tell people the story about the day that Jesus was in town. And so Jesus says, hey, I'm telling these stories to separate the people who really want me from the people who want something from me. Jesus would say, I'm telling these stories because what I have to offer is so good and so real and so right and so true. People should be seeking after it. Which really throws a wrench in a lot of this church stuff we do to be seeker-sensitive. What really throws a wrench in a lot of this stuff we do to be relevant. Because Jesus, Jesus never spent a minute trying to be relevant. Because he knew who he was. And he knew what he had to offer. As a matter of fact, in this little line right here, do you notice how the last sentence there has some quotes at, at it? And it says, though seeing they do not see, and though hearing they do not hear or understand. Do you know what, do you know what Jesus is actually saying right there? He's quoting the prophet Isaiah. And he's reaching back to a time in history that all of these people would have known from their Old Testament scriptures. And this time, and it was Isaiah back here, is a time when people were following God, but they were allowing themselves to be led by all their prejudice and presupposition. And so in this day and age, people had their idea of who God is and what God should be doing and what kind of God there should be out there and what it means to follow him. But they were leading with that. They were not seeking God on his own terms. 
They weren't seeking God honestly. They weren't seeking him wholeheartedly. They were trying to cram God into their little box and get God to do all the things that they wanted him to do and get God to bless all the things that they wanted to be blessed. And Isaiah says, you can keep following God this way, but make no mistake about it, you're going to miss him in the process. And so when Jesus mentions these words and he says, though seeing, they do not see, though hearing, they do not hear or understand. What he's saying is history is repeating itself. What he's saying is there's people in this crowd and it's a good looking crowd. It's exciting to have a crowd. It's better than not having a crowd, but make no mistake about it. There's people who want me and there's people who simply want something from me. And there's a big difference. So what do we do with this? Well, I found this quote from Dr. Alistair Begg that I think said it so clearly. He simply meant this, or said this. You do not get to grips with Jesus from the safe distance of a detached curiosity. You don't get to grips with Jesus from the safe distance of a detached curiosity. In other words, if you want to find Jesus, you will get to him by seeking him genuinely, wholeheartedly, with all of yourself. A detached curiosity would to be approach Jesus with your clipboard and say, well, I don't know, like, we, if we're really busy, we're kind of tired, we have a lot going on, there's a lot of life, let me see if I could pencil you in. And what Beg would say, and what Jesus is saying, if that's your idea of seeking Jesus, you're never going to find him. You don't find Jesus by dipping a toe in the pool. You don't find Jesus by saying, okay, here's my life and how I want it to be. Jesus, can I fit you in? There comes a moment when you have to genuinely seek him with all you've got. There's something else. We'll actually get into what this parable means. I promise we're going to explain it. But there's something else we can't miss on the way to the explanation. It's simply this. The seed is greater than the sower. Now, in your Bible, there's a little heading at the top that says this is the parable of the sower. But it's interesting, if you were to count it up, the sower is only referenced one time, but the seed is referenced seven. Seven taught, we don't know who the sower was. We don't know what he was up to. We don't know like, what he did for a living. We don't know what his hobbies were. We don't know his interests, his passions, or anything else about this sower. But we know all about the seed. We know where the seed landed. We know what the seed's capable of. We know what the seed is there for. We know what the seed means. We know what it's there to do. The seed is greater than the sower. If we were to jump over to Luke's version of this story, he tells us plainly, the seed is the word of God. Now watch me, watch me, watch me. Seed, sower. Seed, sower. Seed, sower, the seed is greater than the sower. 
I tell you that to tell you there is a virus in Christianity right now where we are idolizing and celebritizing pastors who preach good. And it is dangerous and it is deadly to the kingdom of God. Listen, I get it. It's super unclear what's going on in the world right now. It feels chaotic. It feels dangerous. It feels worrisome and troubled. I get it. And so in a time like this, there's a temptation to latch on to your favorite podcast, person, personality, pastor, teacher, prophet, whoever. Grab a hold of them because they've got, uh, they've got it all lined out. They can tell you what's happening, what's coming. They can tell you what people are trying to take from you and what's going to be out there and what's going to happen. And they got clear action steps and action plans. But I'm telling you, run from any version of Christianity that puts more spotlight on the sower than the seed. Don't you dare build a faith because you like my sermons. Guys, I am going to come and go. Give me enough time and I will let you down. Every pastor, whoever preaches a word about Jesus will come and go, but this word is going to remain forever. Build your life and your faith and your heart and your family on this not some God. Here's the other thing. The seed is center. I'm going to try and do this without dumping my Bible on the ground to totally defeat the point. The seed is center. Like leadership, residence, let me, how about this is lesson number one. The word of God must remain at the center of the church lest the church be broken. It is the word, not opinion, not style, not social issue of the day, not what some pundit said on cable news. The seed of the word of God is what brings the kingdom of God to bear in the world around us. The seed is center. And here's why that matters. When the word of God loses its central place in the church, the church loses its place of influence in the culture. When the Word of God is not the center of what a church is and does and its ministries and the way it ministers and the messages and the people and the hearts of the congregants, if the Word is not central in you and in me, we lose our influence in this fallen culture. And man, if there was ever a time in my life where I saw that the culture needs the influence and the salt and the light of the church. It is today. We do that by keeping the seed of the word of God centered in this place. So what is he talking about? Jesus grabs the disciples. It's everybody's kind of walked away. Wait, you mean he's not going to feed us today? He's not going to do any more magic tricks. So half the crowd goes home. There's just a small group around Jesus and he decides to let him in on what this passage means. Verse 18, he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, 
the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Now, that sounds pretty harsh and aggressive. He says, if anyone doesn't understand this, the enemy, they're, they're not going to get it. Now, as a guy who went to public school for 12 years, that makes me a little nervous. Like, are we talking IQ test, Jesus? Like, if you don't get it, then you're not going to get it? No, that's not what Jesus said. When we look at the rest of Scripture and interpret this with other passages through the Bible, uh, like Ephesians 4.17, you start to understand it better. He says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles, that's people without God do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. What he's describing here is hearts that are marked by arrogance. He's talking about hearts that are wrapped in self-sufficiency. He's talking about people who don't pray because they have too many other important things going on. He's talking about people that hear a message and instantly start thinking about somebody else who really needs to hear the message. He's talking about people who can't point to a time in their life when they felt convicted by God about something in their life and actually changed who they were because of the conviction. He's saying there's no seed that's going to grow in a heart like that. Chapter 13, verse 20, he keeps going. He goes, then there was that seed falling on rocky ground. And it refers to someone who hears the word of God at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. My mentor and theologian, Mark Moore, says this is people who want to live the life but refuse to die the death. This is people who, who would find church and find God and they're like, their life was a wreck and things weren't going right and people were being wrong or hurtful or abusive or their finances were a mess or the kids were a mess or the marriage was a mess or they're clothed in shame and they come to a church and they go, oh my gosh, this is, this is what's been missing. Like, oh my gosh, the word and, and there's Jesus and he loves me and he gave his life for me and he's there for me. Oh, this is what I've been missing and oh my gosh, I, I'm going to do this stuff and oh my, it makes I feel better. And I started reading my Bible at home, and you can find me posting about it on social media every other day. And oh my gosh, and I'm checking in at momentum when I'm at momentum. And oh, I made it to momentum. Why weren't you at momentum? Hey, I was here in this place, and God was doing this thing. And they were so fired up on an emotional level. But then, when it was time to grow, it was time to mature. It was time to move forward. It was time to transition to a faith that is no longer just about you. They fall away. It's the person who started following Jesus, but then they learn that there's a relationship in their life that's going to have to change if they're going to keep following Jesus, but they don't want to change it. it it's, it's the person 
who loves Jesus and goes all in and gets baptized and then learns that Jesus wants to lead them out of that water and into the lives of broken people. And they go, ah, that looks a little too inconvenient for me. And so they start to slide back away. It's people that fall in love with Jesus and then realize that they're going to have to adopt some points of view that aren't culturally popular. It's people who fall in love with Jesus, realize that he does not fit into either the Republican or Democratic Party, and they have to do the hard work of looking at every last part of their life and allowing all of that life to obey Christ. And they go, that's too messy for me. How's your dirt momentum? And then, gosh, I hope we pay attention to verse 22. He says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And as Southern Californian residents in the year 2022, I hope we sit up and pay attention when Jesus says this. I hope we start watching because in my time as a pastor and resident of this city, it is, I've watched, and it's not cancer that ruins people's faith, it's not persecution that ruins people's faith. It's not the lack of opportunity and access to churches that ruins people's faith. It is our own wealth. It's 270 days of sunshine a year. It's weekends away, new cars, and settling for good hangs instead of authentic Christian community. For us, that's the greatest threat to our faith. And it means we should be paying attention to what is growing in the soil of our lives. Jesus finishes, last verse. He says this, but the seed... Falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This one, this is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Here's the key to understanding this. It's this word understands in its Greek language. It's suninumi. Suninumi. Uh, understands there is better understood as embraces. He says, it's the one who embraces the word. It's going to see fruit in their life. This crop that produces 160 and 30 times what was sown, what he's saying there is like, when you allow, when you say no to culture, when you say no to all kinds of other soils, and you say, I want the word of God to grow in my life, it bears fruit. 
It's the fruit of an unending joy that circumstances can't take from you. It is the fruit of a life that is well lived. It is the fruit of a family that is anchored in God's word that's not going to fall over when things get tough. It is the fruit of an actual peace like where the world could be messy and terrible, but for some reason I know I'm going to be okay. It's the fruit of a funeral where the people who know you get up and they've got things to say about you and how your life mattered and how other lives were affected because of who you were. Guys, can I tell you something? This is what we're all after. This is what every single, everybody in the city wants this. They just don't know where to get it. And Jesus says, I do. It is when you allow the seed of his word to grow in your heart that fruit happens. And can I tell you something? I'll, I'll finish on this. I'm not telling you this because I'm your pastor. I'm telling you this because Jesus has done more in my life and with my life than I could have ever done myself. I remember being 17 years old and I sat down with a pastor and I was working through the same thing some of you are working through right now. Can I really trust this? Like, if I make the necessary sacrifices, if I, if I open up my heart to Jesus, if I go all in, I mean all the way in with Jesus, am I going to regret it one day? Am I, is He going to let me down? Is all my fun going to be ruined and I'll just be stuck under this pile of religion and rules? Am I, I, can He be trusted? So I sat with a pastor and I asked him just that. I'll never forget what happened next. He looked at me and he said, Matt, try it for one year. Give him everything. Your heart, your life, your obedience, his word, you, you surrender, he wins. Try it for one year. Give him everything. And at the end of that year, if it's not the greatest decision you've ever made in your life, you can walk away from the faith and I'll tell everyone it's okay. I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you'll tell her I can just roll and I can do me the rest of my life. One year and I'll test it out with my life. And, and if I don't like it, uh, I'll leave. I'll tell everyone I'm out. Sorry. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm out. And I can tell everybody, like, you said it's okay. But that's better than Costco's return policy. I'm in. And this summer, that was 20 years ago. And I can tell you with confidence, he has done far more in me, through me, and for me than I could have ever done for myself. And I'm confident, if you're willing to trust him as well, 
you watch them do the same thing. Let's pray. Ben, come on up. God, I pray for people in this room who aren't sure yet. Who understand the decision that lies before them, but are at the same time hesitant because of the unknown. God, I pray for those people that you would just continue to reveal yourself. That you would continue to show up in their lives and be God to them. Lord, I pray for our lifelong Christians in this room. Maybe that they would even themselves remember that day they said yes. I pray that they would remember who you are and what you've done. God, and even today, they would just recommit that they would say, you know what? I'm not even finished yet. Let's do this, God. As a church family, we pray for our students in the room who are going to be leaving on trips and adventuring with you this summer, God, that this summer would not be a vacation from their faith, but a time where faith moves forward, God. Where new life is spoken in the hearts of young people. Where new visions for what life could be and what life should be is. Like Keith was saying, that they would grow and mature and more strong in you and who you are. And God, for us as a church family, we beg you to make us good soil. Where your word can grow and can flourish. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me for one more song, please?